Thanks for listening to Reawaken, creating community and meaningful action to shift paradigms in mental health, trauma and addiction, a podcast by The Humane Clinic. Hosted by Matt Ball and Stephanie Mitchell and produced by me, Rory Ritchie, aka Producer Dan. Incidental music by yours truly and our theme song is Hope by the talented Addo Mull. Everywhere people, in every place, all of the countries and each race. Need your hope, that's what this world is in need Hope is in the water that sprouts the seed Hope is the thing that stops you bleed Hope is the iry in the wind. Hi and welcome to our Reawaken podcast We're here today, I'm, here, I'm Stephanie and I'm here with Matt Hi And Rory Hello And we're going to be talking a little bit today about um, This new trend in psychedelic psychotherapy and um, some of our thoughts and um, where where we might be going in the clinic, some ideas and some yeah. um, plans and um, things that have been meaningful to us. And yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I, I, I want to add to that, you know, there's going to be a lived experience component to this podcast. Mm, yeah. So there's going to be two distinct types of lived experience, one of the psychotherapeutic psychedelic experience and the other of a what might be seen as a you know illegal or narcotics based kind of illicit illicit thanks um approach but and we're not advocating that anyone needs to do either we're just talking about what can be taken Mm. and experienced in in psychedelic and i think too i just really wanted to speak to um you know some some listeners might not know that there's quite a bit of um, research going on at the moment there's a movement sort of internationally around the world where there's clinical trials going on around things like mdma for ptsd especially with um, war veterans um so can i just clarify that mdma is the active ingredient in what is on the street called ecstasy but it's it's actually a sort of chemical compound that was developed originally for uh, therapeutic effects of, mm. of medication and PTSD is what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Yeah. And so um, there's other psychedelics that have been used, things like ketamine um, are shown to have some good results with um, people experiencing ongoing depression. Yeah. Um, and so each of these kind of psychic, psychedelic drugs seem to be being used differently by medical folk, you know, people who are actually doing it through um, these government-funded trials or personally-funded um, clinical trials. Um, yeah. I think Ibogaine has been used a lot with addiction or something. Yeah. Um, and there might be other drugs. They're the only three that I kind of know. And so I suppose we're talking about it partly because as far as, like, the trauma field goes, this is becoming a, a new place where people are talking about the fact that um, maybe in the past psychedelics have been used by people on the fringes on the edge on um people trying to find their way through experiences whether that be spiritual um awakenings or spiritual searching for meaning and things or whether that's kind of like um any other sort of forms of navigating life using psychedelics whereas it's really kind of the way that i'm seeing it at least is it's becoming a bit more mainstream because people are therapists and doctors and Governments are now kind of seeing there may be a therapeutic effect to these drugs um, for people who maybe have been in therapy and just really struggling to get to the next step. And I think about, um, for instance, MDMA for PTSD, the things that I've heard about it is that, um, say, a veteran comes back from their experience, they're having flashbacks, um, classic PTSD kind of symptoms of difficulty, and in therapy they can't really get close to the memory because it's too frightening and overwhelming and during the MDMA experience they can actually do a process of getting close to the memory and realize they're no longer there they don't have to have these flashbacks all the time mm. and so there's kind of like a space of doing the therapy mm. that they're not able to do um, in the everyday kind of one hour session doing that in these extended sessions with the assistance of a psychedelic so I just wanted to kind of put that there as a starting place and we're going to talk much more broadly than that today. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to add in just one other thing uh, as well. I'm really grateful for that introduction because I think that set it up. Um, 
you know, we've we've also been discussing here psychedelics like psilocybin. Um, I've been listening to some podcasts on psychedelic today, uh, a podcast series about San Pedro, peyote, um, ayahuasca, those kind of uh, hallucinogens that are some of them are well known. You know, it's not unusual in our country to go and um, colonize first nation and indigenous experiences mm. so there is a kind of fashion model of using ayahuasca uh in the west and you know I, I'm, i've had a pretty cynical view of it really that we're mm. just trying to steal from other cultures mm. but I, I i also noticed that as we've been talking about this the last few days at the clinic we we here have all got unique experiences of psychedelics and we'll talk about that um and and just this this duality between having to give up what is the kind of rebellious naughtiness of it because mm. our society white western models say psychedelics are terrible and particularly in our work mm. you know people who are psychotic taking psychedelics oh my goodness you know this is anti-psychiatry rebellious stuff and i suppose it's actually been quite emancipating for me to be talking as the three of us and sometimes bernie a colleague mm. here talking about the experience of psychedelics mm -hmm. in a kind of sensible skillful way mm -hmm. and valuing the variety of people's experiences on that um, rather than it feeling rebellious and naughty yeah great and that's what i want to i want to bring into this today just that it's okay to talk about this stuff it doesn't mean anything to talk about it no and i think that's great i'm really loving you said that because i think one of the things important is um, by talking about it doesn't mean we're sort of saying everyone should go out and do psychedelics, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether it's therapeutically or just illicitly. Or we're not actually saying anything. No. We're just talking about some experiences we've had, some musings, curiosity about where some of the trauma feels yeah. going. Yeah. yeah. And for me, whether you can have psychedelic experience without the drugs. Mm, yeah. You know, what are we actually talking about in that space? Because I would say that you can, and I would say it happens a lot. Yeah. And we call it psychosis, dissociation, trauma reprocessing, whatever we want. Yeah. But, it, you know, when people are having experiences that are giving clarity mm. and, and making visible the realities in their lives, is that not in part psychedelic? Mm. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say, Rory? You kind of dominated. Was there anything you wanted to say to set this up? Um, well, that's right. I've just been quite, quietly listening. Um... Just what Matt was saying, I tend to agree that we can get into these psychedelic states in other ways. But a question for me is, is there something to uh, being administered a substance that puts you on a journey that you can't escape, that at different times you can maybe feel like, is this ever going to end or is this permanent and traveling through that journey or through that journey in relationship with others or somebody else and is there something meaningful to the start to finish process of the i guess the trip in in inverted commas and the journey yeah and does that even have a more broad reflection on you know maybe life itself and the journey mm. of life itself and experiences mm. we have so is there something for the character, for the individual, for the person, for the community in travelling through this thing and not having a point to maybe be able to check out of? Mm. So you're saying, can I just clarify, you're sort of saying that maybe something quite powerful in the experience of the journey of the use of the psychedelic, when you're when you're in a setting where there's safety with others. Mm. Yeah. Is mm. that right? Mm. Yeah, or approaching these maybe moments of panic that happen in a psychedelic experience of what's going on, what's real, what does this mean, will this be forever or is it just temporary, is it something, and the, the journey from start to finish moving through the experience mm. and kind of holding yourself and others through the experience yeah. and if there's something of value. Oh my God, I'm so glad you yeah. say that because I'm just, <laughs> as, I, Matt and I are both sitting here and I know you want to jump in, I want to oh, jump cool, in cool. And, and, and I just... That is probably the most powerful thing that I've had an experience of. And I just maybe can, mm. I, what I want to jump in is talk something about my experience. 
And is that where you were wanting to go, Matt? With no, but I can personal? hold on to mine. So you, you, you let's, let's. So go I'm ahead. just really, what's curious to me, and what you said, or, or like energizing and exciting, is that. Um, so I've just um, been to the states earlier in the year to do some ketamine-assisted psychotherapy with a doctor. Okay, so I did three sessions, um, one week apart each, so three Saturdays in a row, and um, and it was a very sort of the setting was set up. I had a support person with me through each of the journeys as well as the doctor that was there. Um, one of the journeys was a group setting but, um, where there was a bunch of us who sat together for an entire week in a therapeutic process, then went and had this experience together and then um, spent the entire day from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. Um, processing all of the things that had come up in this um, experience. And I suppose for me, one of the most powerful things was what you said, this journey into something where each time I did, it was different each time, but each time that I took the drug, um, I went into something that was, as you say, outside of my control, outside of my um, where I imagined I might go. Um, knowing that I was here with these people, you know, wondering, as you say, sometimes it was like, when will this ever end, you know? Other times really knowing I was being held, you know? Mm -hmm. And one of the particular experiences, the very first one was a very frightening experience. And it, I would say it was it was um, incredibly healing because it was also quite um, corrective. I had a real experience of being Ooh. very, very frightened and, and, knowing these two people were going to be here while I was so, so frightened. And when I, and that, that I could kind of hold on to them through that, you know, mm. and come, that I would come out the other side. So in the space of like um, being here and there, being there in the experience of fear and, and, and overwhelm and being here knowing I was still safe and then back there and feeling mm. overwhelmed and frightened and then back here mm. being safe. Mm. And is this okay to talk about? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. And um, and so then what was amazing was when I came out the other side, I, I was able to really talk to these two people who really kind of like held me through that and I sort of said, wow, I, I felt like that was an experience that I didn't really have in my childhood. And this for me, because I'd gone into specifically process of trauma, mm. like some trauma from my childhood. Yeah. I didn't know what it would, which one it would be, and what it would look like. And you can't gauge these things when you go in. Um, it's not like you can go in with a plan of I'm going to deal with this particular thing I've been working on in therapy yeah. where I'm stuck. But um, I did want to sort of go towards something that had been difficult. And what was amazing to me is I really came out the other side saying I just had an experience that I have longed for all my life that I have never really had. <laughs> mm. And that, you know, in all my years of therapy, you know, you're trying to replicate this sense of being held by somebody when you're at your most vulnerable place. And here was this thing happening. And um, it was just so powerful to me. So that's that's what I wanted to just reflect on is, you know, that's only one of my experiences. But when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, I so get that there's something so powerful about a journey with others. Yeah. yeah. And I know it's maybe different for you, but you guys, but that's what came up for me. Well, I and I suppose my initial, I mean, I'm really grateful for you sharing it. And I, I was quite blown away when Rory said what he said for another reason, which I can come back to. But just reflecting on what you were talking about then, what struck me was that you, you were talking about this intentional process. But in the story, what you just told, there was moments of unpredictability and unknowing. Yeah. And it, and it just reminded me a lot of illicit drug use. Yeah. You know, so I'm not, not denigrating the journey of the therapeutic value, but one of the things we've been talking about the last couple of days is how, however you end up doing psychedelics yeah. or having psychedelic experience, what can you what can you learn from it? What can mm, you yeah. experience from yeah. it? The before and the art, the during and the after. Yeah. And I really loved the way you, you described that you, you couldn't know what it was, but you know you were going for something important. Yeah. And then you, you found something important there mm. that you can then come away from and, well, you processed all day and then you can come away from and mm. keep keep organising, yeah. working through, noticing. Mm -hmm. and, and what struck me with that and what Rory said was, Rory said something about 
um, you know, sharing the story, being in community, and, and will this ever end? And what's going on? And I thought, God, that reminds me a lot of being psychotic. Okay. You know, when you, the, I was just out running the other night thinking about the first time I ever had what someone would label as a psychotic experience. And I was sitting next to my best friend at school, and suddenly this godlike entity was coming through the walls. And I wasn't on drugs. Mm. Um, and I and I hid under the table and then everyone caught on fire and I thought I was screaming to warn everyone, but no one else could see me. Mm. You know, it sounds a lot like a terrifying psychedelic trip. Yeah. You know, and I suppose in, in a weird way, I was around a bunch of people. <laughs> I was in a safe, in inverted commas, environment of people that I knew. And I didn't know when it was going to end and what was happening. Mm. And for many years onwards, I've had to kind of organise a story about what that was about. Mm. So that was a drug-free mm. psychedelic experience, which we've called psychosis. Yeah. And and so I think this is the love, this is the joy of being able to talk about this stuff, isn't it? Mm. There's so many ways to. I don't. I didn't want to hijack your story, but it, no. that's what it brought up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And listening to you, Steph, I don't know if you caught the, the emotion. That I was did. On that's my why face. I checked yeah, if yeah. it was okay because I could see it, yeah. something coming up. Um, but I guess maybe I was realizing as listening to you that um, my best friend, who I have had a lot of psychedelic experiences with, who, you know, we made a conscious decision to start taking LSD one day, not knowing anyone who would ever taking it and maybe listening to you realizing that maybe that it wasn't although the drug experiences were expanding and healing and adventurous and exciting and got a lot of value out of them the thing that I really held dear about the whole thing and why it became so exciting was that we were in it together and supporting each other and holding each other and I was never in a state of fear because I always knew we were there together. I was going through something that at times was quite horrific and quite scary, but there was somebody there that I trusted enough that it didn't matter what we went through, we were doing it together Mm. in connection and it would be okay and it always was. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's beautiful to me, I should say, because the first time I ever took LSD uh, as an illicit... um, I think I was 13 or 14, not, not long after I'd had this psychotic experience. And I'd actually been playing elite level sports, so I'd been away for the day. And and the same community feeling was about, and you had your friend with you in America, Steve? I did. You had your mate with you when, where you were in WA. And I came back from an elite level sports event to join my friends who'd been taking acid. And they'd saved me some, <laughs> so that I could come and join. So there's the same... Yeah. You know, without us, and it's only all these years later that I think about, wow, that was like, you know, they were all together and they invited me to come in, and so then we were all together. Yeah. And there's that same process, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I think there's something really powerful we've been talking about for the last couple of days when we've been tossing this around. Um, You were sort of saying, Matt, about is there really any difference between a sort of like very therapeutically, thoughtfully planned out, because I've, I've never been exposed to drugs in my whole life. Yeah. You know, like I didn't know. When I was growing up, I grew up in the church, very sheltered. I did not know a single person who took drugs, which yeah. I know is outrageous, but I went to a private girls' school, you know, like it was an, Ang- <laughs> an um, Church of England, I mean, and girls' school. And, I mean, there was probably girls taking drugs. I just didn't know any of them. Yeah. They certainly weren't telling me about it. Um, and then the same thing when I can't, I got married young and I just got involved in the church and like, so I suppose this was a big step for me and it's mm. not something that I've kind of ever seen a value in people just taking it illicitly. And, but we're, as we've talked over the last two days, I think I really appreciated hearing that the powerful journeys you've both been on through use of substances has been very um, similar to this intentional journey that I chose that was around my therapy. And actually you guys, I think, Rory, you said earlier today something along the lines of, doesn't sound any different to the same reasons I was doing it. Uh, yeah. You know, in I order to make explain. in order to make meaning, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and, and in order to find some sense of myself that's I think the thing that I'd said is, you know, like 
the stories that we've been told about ourselves, and I was talking about myself, mm. the story that I've been told about who I am is so powerful and it's mm. so hard to come against, you know. And I've done all these years of sitting in therapy mm. contemplating how I might find another way of experiencing myself or finding a different story for who I am. Mm. Yeah. And the stories that I've been given are so powerful. And then I said, you know, and this substance kind of allows me a space to start to think without those stories being there. Think of think differently about myself and then when I come away from the journey the substance you know staying in the substance I take this new story this new knowing this new way of looking at it into the next weeks days weeks months okay yeah and that's when you'd said that's absolutely no different to why I did it mm. and, and now was, I'm thinking as I hear you say it again even more clearly that is just the most succinct explanation for why yeah. we have communities in our society all around the world that where drugs come into communities and people have real problems with them because it's mm. when yeah. people are seeking it was it the stories people have been told about themselves yeah. are so strong and hold such a strong position in their life that the opportunity to engage in something or take something yeah. that shifts that story that they've been told about themselves mm. uh, in, in any marginalised community Absolutely. or family situation. Yeah. yeah, it just really speaks to the whole thing, not just psychedelics, the whole yeah. addiction. Yeah, I, I, re I really value that and I, I love these conversations and this is what I was saying earlier about if we can if we can bear to move outside what's acceptable and what we know, mm. then we can have these conversations. Mm. Now, we were all feeling a bit nervous about putting this out there on a podcast. Mm. Now I feel like I've learnt more just in the first 15 minutes. Mm. And I suppose two things come up for me. One is PJ Moynihan, a friend of ours, did a keynote about the complex relationships we have with drugs mm. and community, which is what you're saying. Mm. You know, So if you've not been involved in drugs very often drug communities communities where there is drugs are very welcoming of new members now we, we can all have an opinion on that and a view on that but if you're an isolated liminal marginalized person and there's a community that's welcoming mm. you in of course i'm not suggesting everyone go and join them and there's <laughs> there is of course unsafety in those places yeah. at yeah. times but if i've got nothing else mm. then it's a very mm. seductive place to move into mm. and the other thing i hear about what steph said and what rory used sort of echoed or reflected back was the chance to, to have new stories of my story mm. is very much like what Lewis Mel Madrona, our friend, talks about in the story of the Nagi mm. in the in the Lakota tradition. We've yeah. got a swarm of stories that have been given to us and we live our life in there. Yeah. And this is an opportunity to go out and hear a new story. And certainly it's been really humbling for me to hear about your experiences in America recently. To hear and, and to hear not only did the stories emerge while you were taking the drugs, but other new stories have emerged. Absolutely, since then. yeah. So and, and what's excited me in terms of the Nagi is that this is about you reauthoring your life. Mm. And at that point it's not hard to be grateful to the hallucinogens you took. Yeah. And the people around you at the time. Yeah. And I think it's so fascinating to me that every culture yeah. uses hallucinogens as part of their um, rituals. You know, mm. and I'm like, that's so interesting to me. So it's like we have disowned this thing that actually, you know, shamans and and various other, you know, it's it's either part of rites of passage, it's parts, mm. it's part of ceremony, um, or you know, there's there's different ways cultures use different things, different substances as part of something that is on their journey of making sense of life and being part of community yeah, yeah. finding meaning yeah. yeah like in the western world alcohol mm. <laughs> and that's an acceptable position but mm. taking acid or lsd or whatever is somehow distinctly different when in reality it's just how we framed it i also want to say something about your friend who you took drugs with earlier on we were talking about someone who's got the same name as him and I think it's because we've been talking about the communities we've moved in with mm. hallucinogens or, or psychedelic drugs that I was thinking about someone I know with the same name as your best mate. And I, I instantly felt like your best mate was someone that I could relate more to. But I've never met. And I think that was in part because we've been talking about community around psychedelic experiences. Yeah. You know, and, it, and so 
it's not just about taking the drug, it's about the experience yeah. all around it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when, when you said, you know, in the Western culture we're allowed to drink or whatever, and I kind of go, mm, you know, something comes up in me mm. where it sort of feels a bit like, you know, when I think of the shamanistic approach to taking psychedelics as a rite of passage, it's, it's something that is very focused on community and, and focused on meaning making. Mm. <laughs> I'm not really sure that getting pissed every Friday night with your friends has much meaning making, but maybe you guys have a different perspective. Well, no, I, I know and it's interesting you say it because I, I sit uncomfortable with it because I think it's nonsense, the alcohol issue yeah. in this country, but or in Western worlds. But I suppose I was thinking about, you know, um, uh, weddings. We all have a glass of champagne and raise a toast. Mm. I mean, there is ritual in that, there's ceremony in that, there's mm. the, the toastmaster traditionally would have held the glass mm -hmm. up and mm -hmm. the, we, we acknowledge the people that are making a union, which I is see. our culture. Yeah. So there is this kind of really culturally meaningful journey mm -hmm. about raising up a glass with some fizzy water and it's got a bit of sugar that's turned to alcohol. <laughs> And in the end, people are going to behave in unusual ways when they've had too much of it. And that's what I'm thinking it gives you. But after participating in that ceremony, you then get permission to act differently. Yeah. To tell people how you feel. Yeah. To dance and express yourself to the... Yeah. But this is also something that I'm interested in talking about. <laughs> Obviously, there is value in it, whether it's alcohol or psychedelics. But when does it, when do you phase into a period of it not working? Yeah. I know we had a conversation before we started the podcast with me and Matt saying we both feel quite anxious, these old feelings of anxiety before you take a drug are kind of up in us and it all seems a bit full on and like mm. exhausting and um, Steph kind of expressed, oh, I'm really interested to explore things more in the way yeah. that you did in America. So what, what happens when, I, know, I guess, when the acid stops working or it becomes a negative experience or it becomes an abusive experience rather than a yeah. meaning-making one? Mm. Yeah. And is there a natural course? Mm. Is there? I wonder if we should go to a break. Mm. I think it's going to be a long podcast, mm. but <laughs> I wonder if we should go to a break. But I, I wonder if, you know, I'm really grateful for your sharing, Steph, mm. and I wonder if after the break we should just give a brief synopsis of the experiences we've had and then see what the conversation has, because I think that'll That's show great. the two sides of, of, of taking hallucinogenic psychedelic drugs. Mm, great. All right, we'll see you on the other side. Okay, welcome back. We're back for the second part of the uh, Reawaken podcast, uh, conversations about psychedelics. Um, what conversations we're having and, and the current movement around um, the evidence bases that are emerging. I instantly feel awkward and uncomfortable about that. Um, maybe we'll talk about that. But I think we were going to touch on, Steph really generously shared about her recent experiences, and I think we'll hear more of that. But we're going to touch on some of the experiences Rory and I have had, which come from a very different direction. Hmm. I don't know if you want to talk or you want me to talk. Or... Uh, no, you can start. All right, you yeah. just join in. Yeah. I mean, I think instantly it feels like our experience has been more akin to one another, but mm. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. I mean, so I, I said earlier I had a so-called psychotic experience when I was studying, and it was around that time that I remember I bought some acid, um, chipped in some money to buy some acid that day, from some travellers that were living on a site just down the road from us. I lived in a very middle-class, affluent area, and there's some some uh, some Irish travellers who'd set up, and um, yeah, they they sold acid. It was very cheap. So I uh, did my paper round, my paper route, delivering newspapers as a small child, and, uh, and that was enough money to buy some acid. And um, so I got into it that way. And I I think one of my things was that. Um, I was very frightened and I think had a psychotic experience before and I, I think that a lot of the drugs I took became an opportunity to be in community and to be amongst people without fearing when my brain and state was going to become psychedelic without my permission if you like. So when was I going to be frightened and psychotic again? Mm. When was I going to be overwhelmed again and have these extreme states of fear mm. and overwhelm? Mm. Well I'll tell you what, I'll take a load of drugs. 
and then at least I'm in some sort of control of it. Mm. And I think that's a perhaps a controversial position, but I when I reflect on it I, from the age of thirteen I, to twenty one around there, I took a lot of drugs, a lot of LSD, some ketamine, some MDMA, cocaine, amphetamine, cannabis. Ate lots of cannabis because there was a sort of high hallucinatory experience at the high end of it. Mushrooms, which of course you can pick for free, different times a year. And a lot of the time I did it in community and a lot of the time I also, it kind of spilled out into my own spaces. And I I do think that was when it got pretty scary and pretty lonely. And that, it's only really having this conversation on this podcast that I'm really recognising that when I would stay at home taking psychedelic drugs or hallucinogenic drugs on my own that was never a great experience for the most part I mean I could enjoy some of the experiences but it it became very scary very quickly and I would want community but I there was a shame about it there was a guilt about it at times there was perhaps even an embarrassment at not really being in feeling in control of what I was doing how many drugs I was taking and then I think my experiences ended with me ending up in a psychiatric hospital and all those stories which have been told here before. But something um, Rory said about what happens when too much acid is enough or too, yeah, enough acid is too much or something. And I suppose I wonder if that's when I became psychotic, not when I'd done so much drugs it had fried my brain, but it was no longer meeting the needs I had. Mm. So the drugs tailed off and my madness appeared. And that is quite controversial, I guess, because traditionally we'd say it was those drugs that made me psychotic. So that was kind of my broad experience. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, quite different, I think. Um, I We started exploring psychedelic experiences at, at about age 21, so I hadn't done it in my 10 years, although I'd smoked a bit of marijuana and was drinking a lot at the time when we started. Um, so my friend Josh and I decided we were going to take some LSD. Um, and took it and had a really mind-altering, uh, mind extreme experience and saw the world completely differently, healed several things that I was trying to deal with at the time mm. in the very first trip mm. following the very first trip after not after kind of having a real problem with drinking through my teens and getting into trouble and fights and getting arrested and stuff just completely stopped drinking mm. for a period of maybe six to nine months I just didn't right. and I'm kind of slowly started drinking again after that but maybe not in the same way so that was, and that was an outcome that ha that I wasn't planning or wasn't planning to work on. It just came from my thought thought journey during the trip. That yeah. that's a really silly thing. Then why am I doing that? Why yeah. I just stop doing that? That's and, amazing, and I've heard that before. Um, I don't want to I don't yeah, want to interrupt, but I just yeah. do want to say I've heard yeah. this. That this is what I mean by the new stories. You just yeah. start to see something. I'm loving that. Thank mm. you. Keep going. Um. <laughs> And then we got quite interested in just the experience itself and what, you know, existential mm. meaning and what is, what's the meaning of life, what's the meaning of reality, existing in different realities, all these kinds of things. Um, it began with me and Josh and then our group kind of expanded into a band, mm. into a house that was, you know, a whole community and almost our, our own way of being and I think it's when that community that small community we created began to run its course maybe everyone had kind of moved on maybe we were still there yeah kind of keeping the cogs rolling that maybe didn't have so much of a place and the trips weren't as good and they didn't have as much impact or we didn't get as much out of them mm. so like this question of does it stop working after a while or is it really about relationship and you only need X amount of experiences yeah. to come into relationship? Um, like, for instance, now I wouldn't have a trip now and decide to stop drinking again, even though that would might be... Even though I don't drink the way I did when I was an 18-year-old, it's, like, rational for me to think, oh, I'd just be a lot healthier if I just stopped drinking. 
but I don't think I could have that same realization again and reset the clock. You know, no. it's not like a paracetamol that might. <laughs> yeah, yeah knock you can't. It's out. like you can't yeah. really go mm. in saying, "Oh, this is the outcome I'd like. I just like to get off mm. sugar once and mm. for all because I'm addicted, or or yeah. I really want to yeah. stop fighting with my partner or something." Yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm loving this. I don't want to interrupt too much, but I'm loving this because when you're saying that, I'm thinking there is no way that I want the chaos of my polydrug use again. Because I, there's no space for it in my good mm. life. Mm. But I maybe I learned that mm. through going through the experiences. Mm. And we're discussing, you know, whether we might have experiences. And I've heard, I hope you don't mind me saying, I've heard you say, oh, well, you know, I couldn't do it now because of my, the responsibilities in my life. Maybe if I didn't have my kids around for two days, mm. then that may be an opportunity to meditate on some psychedelics and explore the meaning of it but when i hear you say that i know and I, you should probably know as well that you'll just spend two days thinking about your kids and wishing you were with them and it feeling very strange that you're not yeah 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 <laughs> yeah absolutely so so there's a learning in that isn't there yeah you know and i think that's for all of our different unique experiences this is the after effects of the learnings you know what mm. maybe what i hear in that is what choice does it give us mm. you know what and that that you know, uh, one of the things I wrote when you talked about the existential experiences, I remember before I ever took acid, I remember reading The Doors of Perception, Heaven and Hell by Aldous Huxley, which is a cliche in the psychedelic community. Uh, but I, I remember him describing the corduroy on his trousers when he'd taken mescaline. And, and there was something deeply resonant in me about how I perceived the world, the whole world. And what if I could have a substance that would shift it to give mm. it a new experience? Mm. So although it looked hedonistic and chaotic, and it was, I, even before I ever took acid, I was interested in, you know, as Aldous Huxley had shifted his perception of his corduroy trousers, I was kind of so confused about the world. I was wanting to shift my perception. Mm. And that then doesn't sound terribly different to your experience. No. Yeah. And, and and I think what's powerful is as you guys have been talking, I've just been reflecting, I think Matt, you and I have been talking about how since I've come back from the US, this I'm, sh I'm changing and I think that we talked about this actually, that you've come back from the UK, I've come back from the US and there's been some shifts mm. in both of us out of our experiences. Mine's been through a psychedelic journey as well as mm. some other like um, uh, therapy journeys in a group setting over two weeks and yours has been hanging out with a community if we think about set yeah. settings yeah. you know um, uh, and and the empowerment of being around some women who just call things out and yeah. <clears throat> excuse me um, and that we've both kind of come back in this place of change and it has been really powerful for yeah. me um, that I feel like my son actually said to me the other day, because my husband and I, you know, we had some shifts in our relationship too, and Jordan said to me, he goes, you and Dad are just talking differently these days. Wow. And I went, oh, oh okay. <laughs> wow. I knew that yeah. we'd been, we'd been, you know, like you, anyone who's had a long-term relationship knows you have one or two arguments that you just have for like 30 mm. years, you know, and it doesn't seem to matter how many times you talk about it and you try and resolve the darn thing, you just argue about the same thing forever. Well, we've just gotten to a place where finally mm. talked about this argument that we've had for 30 years in a new way. Mm, it's so incredible. And and I just, I think it's because I've come back feeling differently about who I am and these stories I've been told about who I am. Yeah, I love that because I think that's a really... You know, if we think about the, the sort of rebellious idea of psychedelics, which, I mean, we're recording this in South Australia. I'm going to make the point that South Australia and mental health is extraordinarily conservative. Mm. You know, we diagnose, we drug, and we treat people here. Mm. Mm. And we're talking about an alternative. And so then we need to find ways to bridge that gap. Mm. And I love what you've said, because probably most people can realise Yes, we, in long-term relationships, we have the same conversations and we might even fantasise and hope that we could change the way that conversation happens. So what you're describing <coughs> to me is, to us here is how that can actually happen with the, with the support of psychedelics. Yeah. It doesn't have to be these enormous trips that we can't organise. Yeah. It can just be a... <coughs> excuse me. It can just be a, 
as subtle as subtle as a shift in a relationship yeah. because we've been into a space and a state and an experience that allows us to move into new places in ourselves. Yeah. Even, I, even yeah. our conversation yesterday, mm. you know, you came in saying something and I might have normally in the past kind of gone, oh, well, Matt's got a pretty strong opinion. I don't agree with him, but I'll sit back and just let him have it. And I was like, <laughs> I really disagree, Matt, you know, and yeah. actually I feel pretty defensive and I'm going to call you on this thing because I think you're full of bullshit, you know. And then as I did that, you were able to go, well, I disagree with you. You know, yeah. and then I was like, well, I can see your point and you're like, I can see yours. And, and I think that's part of what I'm saying. There's been shifts in these, me having a voice, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, out of yesterday's conversation, me and Rory sat there and Rory in the afternoon went, or early afternoon went, God, it feels, feels good today. There's, a, there's a, a, an interest around today. Yeah. And it was, I think it was because we were free to have the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose one thing then I wanted to bring up was yesterday we were talking and it seems important um, as we got into this conversation that you just talked about yesterday, Steph, we kind of moved through our, our butting up against each other and <laughs> the whole room then, the three of us and Bernie was with us and we were talking about it and Rory was talking about sort of LSD trips of going beyond beyond the hallucination psychedelic experience into a new space. I don't know if you want to talk to that or, Steph, you want to go... So our general approach was whatever somebody tells you a dose is, uh, at least double or triple or even more that, to ensure that you fully cross over the, the psychedelic wall, maybe, you would call it. So yeah, I thought I was thinking about it this morning and... I think, was it you, Steph, you were saying, you know, you want some room to not be completely overwhelmed and to feel like you can do some work in the space, maybe. Uh, you mean when, during the, during taking the psychedelic? Yeah, yeah. No, I think what I was saying was, um, for me, I'm, I'm really not interested in having a psychedelic experience just purely for that sort of sense of like, oh, man, it's a trip. I'm just yeah. seeing like we're all one and, you know, like and there's like, sh you know, all the clouds are like angels. That doesn't interest me one bit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, <love that>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was really trying to say that my interest is seriously in, in, in some sort of um, – self-development slash shift in maybe old, old places that feel immovable. And um, and so I was interested in, you know, how do we have this microdosing, which is something that um, they're doing in this psychedelic psychotherapy kind of approach, um, which allows enough of going into our ex this the experience of being on the drug and also allowing you to be enough in the present that you're not just just tripping you know yeah. so I don't know and maybe I don't understand the process enough and I'm speaking out of school because I don't actually know um, when I was in my very first journey I was pretty out of control like I was out I was um it was an intense intense experience mm. and I also would say I just had some knowing of being here and there as well and I don't know whether you guys, if you take, you're sort of saying take two or three times what they suggest, um, get that same experience. And so I guess I would say that the, whatever you would, the self-exploration -explor or work on self or whatever we're calling it, I think that the experience itself and having a very heavy psychedelic experience and crossing into this kind of ego tripping part of the experience. I think that's where the real work is done. So yeah. kind of closing to, and like, you know, talking about being on the trip as well. I think I feel if you have one foot still in the kind of, you know, normal reality, yes, right. then you can never fully give yourself up to that. That's what can something be a I've scary heard. psychedelic experience. So you almost have to close the gate behind you and trust that you get, you're leaving through a different you have gate. To, yeah, I've heard this end. said in a way that kind of says, if you're afraid, go towards it mm. during the experience. And maybe I'm overstating what happened for me. I wasn't sure I wasn't going to die. Yeah. 
So, like, I was definitely in the experience and I was literally holding the person's hand so freaking tight because I thought that I was going to get sucked into that. And um, and so I'm, I'm just, I suppose what I'm saying is I did feel like I really let myself go into it and then, and I would be in it and in it and in it and every now and again I would have this tiny glimmer that, that maybe I wouldn't, be completely lost into whatever that was. So you're saying you let yourself completely go in. There's yeah. no sense of knowing that completely you're going to come go out. In yeah. Almost to the point where not only can't you feel another person's hand, you're not quite sure if you can conceive of what a human hand actually is right. or remember it. Yeah, I would relate to that experience, Rory. But I would also say, um, Steph, that you know, wondering if you're going to survive the trip is fairly psychedelic. Mm. Yes. You know, so yeah. so it's it's just really interesting. It's quite. Healing is probably the wrong word, but um, connecting to kind of hear that whilst we're talking about different ways, different experiences, there's commonality in the mm. experiences. Because for me, there was a nihilism in in my drug use, particularly the psychedelic drug use. I, I wanted, you know, I think Rory, you're explaining it more skillfully. I wanted disconnection from the world in which mm. I lived because the world in which I lived was not okay, mm. and so. I, I wanted an extreme perceptual difference of the world I lived in mm. so that I could be in it. So there's this kind of paradox that getting completely whacked on yes. the psychedelic would remove me enough. So it's not that dissimilar to what you're saying about closing the gate, but yours sounds much more refined. Mine was, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's right, but mine was a hedonistic. Oh, I suppose yours was as well. Um, but it was very much. Ha- I'll take whatever I need to take to get out of this space. Maybe that's... See, yeah, you no, know, and I, I don't think our experiences were quite the same. No. We had kind of big experiences, kind of quite consumed with the sensory experience of it, but in the context of what are our lives all about. So I guess once... I'd healed the things that I felt like heal, like that I felt I needed to heal, and we continued on that journey. Then the question to be answered, or the thing to be healed, was an existential question of what is existence. And okay, yeah, it's interesting because I I went there. I remember reading into the bloody uh, what's it called, the Celestine prophecy. <laughs> Goodness gracious me, about as unhallucinogenic as you can be, but it, you know, it was a best-selling book at the time, and and that became a real kind of way for me to go into mad states of drug use and then come out and have a narrative to kind of guide me. So I was into that kind of existential um, experience, and I used to write about it, and I used to spend a lot of time after the trips thinking about it and trying to make sense of it. Mm. So. I was interested afterwards in the connection, but it almost felt to me like I had to not exist in order to experience the sort of psychedelic experience. I had to, and that crossing over the psychedelic membrane or or, or space that <laughs> or that threshold. Reson- the threshold that kind of resonates to me because it was like mm. yeah, but I, you know, interestingly, both of you sound much more refined in the way you did it. You know, mine was poly psychedelic drug use whatever i could get to sort of annihilate the conscious state was good for me Mm. but i also heard you say earlier that you'd had this psychotic experience and no one was there for you so you know you're you're a 13 year old boy scared out of your mind there's a lot of bad things happening in your life at the time Mm. you've tried to tell your mum about some of the bad things Mm. and wasn't really necessarily believed or taken seriously Mm. you've had this experience in school and school's kind of gone oh come on matt stop being a bit naughty sent you to the sick bay you know Mm. um and and so in my mind it's kind of like you've had this terrifying experience and you want to make sure you keep away from that so so yeah let's do a lot a lot a lot of drugs that take you out of anything that's scary but in a way that's kind of measured enough yeah Oh, I've got control of this. I'm going to take an actual trip. If it's scary, it'll end. Yeah. If it's fun, it'll end. Whatever that is, I'm just going to do that for the next however long mm. because whatever that was back there was just beyond yeah. terrifying. And I also heard two important things in those two different stories as well. One where the experience was terrifying and Matt was alone 
and another one where he described being welcomed into a community yeah. and being held and being valued and yeah. being yeah. included and being in connection. And I, and I think that, that bit for me, you know, when I was in the psychiatric system, came out as in a psychotic, so-called psychotic state, all the pharmaceutical medications to stop my psychotic state. When I lived in a community of people who were said to be treatment resistant psychotic, I would say that was quite a psychedelic place at times. If you mm. consider that people mm-hmm. were having deep perceptual realities that mm. were different to everyone else, mm. but we did it in community. Mm. And, and so there was a kind of generic acceptance that the states people were in were okay. Mm. And we would often sit in a lounge and people would talk about their extreme states, which, if we were on acid, we call them hallucinogenic. It's very familiar, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and you were doing with your ketamine mm, in America, yeah. you know. So there was, it wasn't prescribed and designed, but it was, we were sitting around having essentially natural psychedelic states, mm. uh, which we call psychosis in our society. <laughs> but actually, some of them were very healing, I really think. Some of them were very healing. We'd often get up and trudge down the pub together after sitting for three hours, you know, and that sounds a lot like taking acid, <laughs> you know, or, or getting, going for dinner after you've done some ketamine or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting to unpack, isn't it, the similarities rather yeah. than seeing always the differences. And I think it's interesting because I'm reading the um, Michael Pollan book at the moment. Mm. Um, what's it called? question oh, that's right. I thought you remembered the name of it so um but he you know he talks about how the name psychedelic came in you know mm. like and and what I love about it is it sort of means to see doesn't it something yeah. about the mind yeah um yeah we could we could just touch on that yeah. the, 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 where we get in modern language we get the word psychedelic from Aldous Huxley and and um Humphrey Osmond um but really it comes you know from psych for the mind to do probably going to pronounce this wrong, Delune, to make visible or reveal, yeah. or Delos, the visible, clear. So we're talking about, and even to shine, mm. you know, we're, we're seeing the emergence of clarity and... In the mind. Something in the mind, in the mind yeah. becomes available to us that wasn't available before. And I think one of my real interests is that, you know, Carl Jung says, you know, like, um, unless we make conscious what is unconscious... Yeah. Um, it'll just run our lives. And so, you know, all of our, um, all of our psycho, psychology and all the current CBT and blah, blah, blah is all based on the conscious mind, okay? Yeah. It doesn't work. People are doing backflips in their conscious mind to try and change behaviour, to try and feel better, to try and, you know, breathe and be mindful yeah, and yeah, whatever yeah. the thing is. And if it worked, there'd be some very wealthy people yeah. that would have very full books and everyone else would be out of a job, okay? But there are, yeah, we'd all be out of a job, yeah, okay? Because we don't do that kind of work. And the psychologists would have their 12 sessions and then people would get better and everyone would be happy. Well, not actually, because no one had had, none of the psychologists yeah. would have a job. Um, it doesn't work. What works is this process within the unconscious mind. Yeah. And, and what is hidden is hidden. <laughs> I just love that the psychedelics yeah. really sounds like, I, I love the, ideology of the word because that's been my experience and what I'm hearing emerge is from these you know um, these clinical trials and things is what sounds like these these um, cultures have known for a very long time mm. that they do allow us to go into the unconscious mind and find something new and they would even go a step further and say there's something spiritual about it yeah and so I mean I'm curious about that but um, and I know we have to wrap up but just to say that, um, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, well, maybe we could just do a round before we wrap up. I mean, I'm, I'm mindful one thing that I want to be just clear up on this podcast is, you know, I think I've probably given a description of a fairly chaotic uh, use of psychedelics and hallucinogens um, in a distressed life. Mm. But I also want to say that there was a lot of pleasure in it. So, and I think it's okay for us to take pleasure. And we are societies that relentlessly seek pleasure. And I'm really, you know, I just remember what I was going to say, which is mm. so important to that, is that what I'm loving about this conversation that started actually yesterday and mm. finishing off, really making available here in this space for everyone, 
is um, I think in the past I haven't valued a psychedelic journey as anything of that might be meaningful to a person. And then when I went and did this kind of like very measured psychotherapy journey mm. using a substance, um, I had thought, you know, it was intentional. But I'm really hearing that it sounds like um, there's things available to people no matter how it's kind of able yeah. to be processed and yeah. sorry um, available to someone like however you kind of going into the experience something valuable is there to be um to emerge if there's safety and i think you talked yeah. about set and setting and i just that i think that's so important and we haven't even got to talk about non-psychedelics Around oh, yes. around psychedelic experiences, which is going to have to be another podcast because that's so exciting. So we're going the next podcast can be non drug psychedelic yes. experiences. Yes, absolutely. Rory, did you have? Um, only I think the bit we missed that I wanted to cover was mm. what do we think is happening that makes this change or reauthoring of our own story available? So is is it a reducing of the amount of fear when we're on psychedelics to be in connection with somebody to or to explore things in ourself or is it simply or not so simply an extreme state of overwhelm that makes us mm. available to ourselves or others and I guess that maybe touches on the non-drug psychedelic story is that I know I felt able to be close to people when I'm in states of being really overwhelmed, almost in a similar way, mm. you know, things are so big and uncontrolled and overwhelming mm. that the usual things that are in the way of being in connection with somebody, whether it's, you know, in spirit mm. or mind or yeah. physically yeah. just grabbing hold of somebody and saying, I yeah. just need to hold on to you at the moment. Yeah. Look, I'm happy to spend five more minutes if you guys are. I think this is yeah. really a vital topic. Um, it speaks somewhere to the sort of ontological insecurities or securities of being so that the, the 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 sense of one thing we all share as humans is a a, a vulnerability of existence mm. as a human you know it's an existential dilemma and and of course lang talked about it and people get very excited and polarized on lang but some you know the divided self was a seminal book talking about the experiences that we share of being human you know, being in the human realm. And I, you know, what some of what you're talking about, it seems to me, Rory, you're bringing up is um, a, around that sort of ontological experience of what is happening in these moments. And I, I just, I love that we, in the last 24 hours, we've had these conversations and at times we've been giggling and playful as though we're on drugs and we haven't taken any drugs but that you know that's the ex the extraordinary wonderful human experience that just by talking about psychedelics feeling rebellious feeling vulnerable can take you into a state where your mind fogs up and then we press play on the the podcast and suddenly we're having an intellectual conversation again about it and you're kind of like wow this is all happening every time and then that's, I presume, that's because the three of us feel pretty safe with each other. Mm. You know, I, it happened again today. It happened on the last podcast of Dissociocratic. Steph brought something up. This time Rory brought something up. And there was enough trust between us mm. that a difficult, a subject that might be vulnerable for mm. me could be brought in. Mm. And we could do it to each other. Mm. That's happening in the relationship without any drugs here today. Mm. So we're making ourselves really vulnerable mm. and trusting in the process of, of maybe pushing our boundaries a bit, pushing ourselves to extreme experiences a little bit. And that seems to me what's happening with hallucinogenic drug use. We're, we're reducing some of the inhibitors or inducing fear or whatever. But if you do it in community, if you do it in a safe enough way, whatever that looks like to the person or the community, then you can take value from that experience. Because I actually feel quite, it feels good to me that you've both brought subjects in that, that have challenged me in the, this on the last podcast. And I've come out of it going, oh, they're also taking care of me. Mm. You know, they were using the stories from my life, but they didn't go to extreme lengths and expose me and make me feel frightened. They just used stories that we've talked about for, an, for a value. Mm -hmm. 
well, that feels really good. And that is actually what we're talking about, about psychedelics, I think. Mm. I don't know whether that yeah. resonates. I'm, I mean, I'm really loving the question, Rory. And I was just sitting here reflecting on like, well, who knows yeah. is the answer that mm, comes yeah. to me. But, mm-hmm. you know, we all have our formulations. Yeah. And mm. I know some people, as I said earlier, would have a spiritual formulation. Yeah. And yeah. I'm my formulation is extremely rooted in the unconscious mind at the moment. Yeah. And I know almost nothing about <laughs> psychedelics, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, I, I am interested in how the conscious mind takes a little bit of a break and we yeah. get to be in an experience, you know, like when we have dreams, that's our unconscious mind giving us something. And they are hooky experiences sometimes, yeah. but sometimes they have extreme, extremely important messages if we can kind of be with it enough, you know. Yeah. And sometimes there's simple messages about something that's going on in our life that feels scary or confusing or something and we just, oh, I know what that dream was about, it's about this thing, you know. Um, but they're coded in a way that our conscious mind can kind of manage it, mm. you know. And so I kind of, there's, you know, my very, very naive formulation is something around allowing us to go into our unconscious mind mm. and have something emerge that maybe our unconscious, did I say unconscious mind, go into our unconscious mind and have something emerge that our conscious mind previously wanted to keep us from because yeah. it, it was worried about that. And... Um, and as it emerges in metaphor and through liminality and going to somewhere that's scary, okay, mm. and emerges in community though. So it's emerging yeah, into this space and then someone is here with me to help me make sense of it or to navigate it. In, <sighs> yeah. But that, that's how I'm making sense of it right now at least. <laughs> yeah. In two yeah. months' time, I might have a completely different perception of that. No, I, especially the part where there's somebody there to kind of catch you. Yeah. At the end, which I'm relating to my feeling of having to let go at the beginning and ah. tr- for a full experience, trusting that oh. there's somebody who loves you to catch you there at the other yeah. end. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I think I just want to quickly reflect on the letting go bit. I think, you know, like when I've spoken to people about those journeys, they do say that. They say the the kind of full experience is about the letting go um, to really let yourself, in in my language, hear from the unconscious mind, but in other people's language go to something spiritual or whatever Mm. that is. Um, And maybe I just had the experience I had because I wasn't really ready to go fully there yet. Yeah. Reflecting on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up, Rory. I feel... That, that idea that someone's there to, that someone's at the end there, that, that kind of acceptance and knowledge that someone's going to be there with you at the end seems to speak to the community. But if I bring it back to psychotherapy work, you know, when we start dialoguing with voices or parts yeah. or we use deep metaphors of, of animals living inside people as metaphors mm. for the level of, of feeling or we embrace people's spiritual meaning in dilemmas, I think one of the things we should be offering as therapists is that we're going to be there throughout that journey, mm. you know, both in the individual session and the longer term. Yeah. And that then that then makes, you know, the, what we can talk about in another podcast, that idea of the, the non-drug psychedelic experience, that's that component, again, mm. that people can go to extreme psychedelic states in a, in a relationship if they can both let go, shut the gate, as Rory talked mm. about, but know that you're going to be there caught and held at the end, you know, loving, and you use the word loving, I'm so grateful, loving relationship. Yeah. And what you brought in, I think, was something that we are f- almost frightened of talking about in a, in a, anything other than a kind of structured, rigid way, which is the unconscious. Mm. Now, we, of course, we don't know it, it's unconscious, but it's important to know that we are more than the conscious we have to present, mm, Yeah. you know. And so that's the gift, isn't it? People can shut the gate, come into contact with something else, spiritual, emotional, mm. unconscious, whatever, knowing that the loving safety is at the end. And then they can do exactly what we've all been talking about is look back at those experiences and begin to organise mm. them, mm. make some sense out of them. Yeah. And all the way through, it's within a community. Yeah. And, and that, that feels like what we've been talking about. Yeah, that feels nice. Mm-hmm. Anything to say before we 
Yeah. That feels pretty complete for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I want to, I feel really grateful to you both <laughs> and grateful to me, grateful to the three of us that we've shared. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a lovely space and um, big journeys. Yeah. 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 And I'm excited we're going to be doing a psychotherapy, a psychedelic psychotherapy training coming up in May and June. Yep. Matt and I. Yeah. Maybe Rory if you want to join us. And, um, mm. and seeing where that takes us in the clinic, in the yeah. humane clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank we'll, you. Um, yeah, see you. the listeners on the next podcast. Yeah. Something else about psychedelics and non-drugs. <laughs> okay. Goodbye from Reawaken. <laughs>